Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast. We're talking about our first female poet, Catherine Phillips Orinda, as she is known. Wow, can you believe we've got a female poet? Big thank you to Catherine Phillips for being the first female poet during her lifetime, says Swim Fishy. <clears throat> and by her own express wishes, Phillips' work was mostly only circulated in manuscript to a known readership. This was also due in part to the social stigma attached to women publishing their work. Contemporary opinion held that publishing was an act of personal exposure and any woman daring to do so was immodest and indecent. Whoa. <laughs> so they're like slut-shamed for publishing a poem. That's crazy. Although other... Uh, sorry. Although... Other women had translated or written dramas. Her translation of Pompeii broke new ground as the first rhymed version of a French tragedy in English and the first English play written by a woman to be performed on the professional stage. She was widely considered an exemplar of the ideal woman writer, virtuous, proper and chaste. Critics both at the time and in later years, described her work as safe, entirely suitable for women to take pleasure in reading and for men to appreciate the literary skill involved. Long, critically obscure, and in more recent years, her work has begun to be appreciated, in particular for its vivid depiction of female friendships. Her poems typically celebrate the refined pleasures of platonic love. Catherine's life was tragically cut short when she developed smallpox shortly after returning to England from a visit to Ireland. She died in June 1664 at the age of 33. Her work contrasted with other female writers of the period, Afra of Ben, who described in coarse graphic detail the intricacies of physical love between women. Afra of Ben was also the first Englishwoman to earn her living solely by her pen. She was a lyrical and erotic poet expressing a frank sexuality that addressed such subjects as male impotence, female orgasms, bisexuality, and inter indeterminacies of gender. The most prolific dramatist of her time, she was also an innovative writer of fiction and a translator of science and French romance. Ben wrote her scandalous sex-filled plays under a pseudonym, Astraea, as did many of her contemporaries and successors. Ben's novels were as sexually frank as her plays. Well, it's a bit of a swerve away from our poet of today, but interesting to know that she, that uh, Catherine Phillips did have some contemporaries and they were a little bit sexy. <laughs> um, all right, today's poet is a man. John Dryden, born 1631, died 1700 to the pious memory of the accomplished young lady, Mrs. Anne Killigrew, excellent in the two sister arts of poesy and painting. The song, poem I should say, is called Ode. Thou youngest virgin daughter of the skies, made in the last promotion of the blessed, whose palms, new plucked from paradise, in spreading branches more sublimely rise. Rich was immortal green above the rest, whether adopted to some neighbouring star, thou rollest above us in thy wandering race, or in procession, fixed and regular, moved with the heaven's majestic pace, or, called to more superior bliss, thou treatest with self realms the vast abyss, whatever happy region is thy place, the cease thy celestial song, a little space, 
Thou wilt have time enough for hymns divine, since heaven's eternal year is thine. Here then, a mortal muse, thy praise rehearse in no noble verse, but such as thy own voice did practice here, when thy first fruits of posy were given, to make thyself a welcome inmate there, while yet a young probationer and candidate of heaven. If by traduction came thy mind, our wonder is the less to find a soul so charming from a stock so good, thy father was transfused into thy blood. So wert thou born into the tuneful strain, in early, rich, and inexhausted vein, but if thy pre-existing soul was formed at first with myriads remore, it did through all the mighty poets roll who Greek or Latin laurels wore, and was that sopho last which once it was before, if so, then cease thy flight, O heaven-born mind, thou hast not dross to purge from thy rich ore. Nor can thy soul a fairer mansion find than was the beauteous frame she left behind. Return to fill or mend the choir of thy celestial kind. May we presume to say that at thy birth new joy was sprung in heaven as well as here on earth? For sure the milder planets did combine on thy auspicious horoscope to the shine and even the most malicious were in trine. Thy brother angels at thy birth strung each his lyre and tuned it high, that all the people of the sky might know a poetess was born on earth. And then, if ever mortal ears had heard the music of the spheres, and if no clustering swarm of bees on thy sweet mouth distilled their golden dew, "'Twas that such vulgar miracles heaven had not leisure to renew "'for all the blessed fraternity of love. "'Solmanized there thy birth, and kept thy holiday above. "'O gracious God, how far have we profaned thy heavenly gift of poesy, "'made prostitute and profligate the muse, Debased to each obscene and impious use, whose harmony was first ordained above for tongues of angels and for hymns of love, O wretched we, why were we hurried down this lubric and adulterate age, nay, added fat pollutions of our own, to increase thy streaming orgies of the stage? What can we say to excuse us? Excuse our second fall. Let this thy vestal heaven atone for all. Here. Arethusian stream remains unsoiled, unmixed with foreign filth and undefiled. Her wit was more than man, her innocence a child. Archie had none, yet wanted none, for nature did that want supply, so rich in treasures of her own. She might our boasted stores defy, such noble vigour did her verse adorn, that it seemed borrowed were where twas only born. Her morals too were in her bosom bred, but by great examples daily fed. What in the best of books her father's life she read, and to be read herself she need not fear each test and every light her muse will bear, though Epictetus with his lamp were there, even love, for love sometimes her muse expressed, was but a lambent flame which played about her breast, light as the vapours of a morning dream, so cold herself whilst she such warmth expressed, t'was Cupid bathing in Diana's stream. Now all those charms, that blooming grace, that well-proportioned shape and beauteous face, shall never more be seen by mortal eyes in earth and much 
the much-lamented virgin lies, not wit nor piety could fate prevent, nor was the cruel destiny content to finish all the murders at a blow, to sweep at once her life and beauty too. But like a hardened felon took a pride, to work more mischievously, slow, and plundered first, and then destroyed, oh, double sacrilege, on things divine to rob the relic and to face the shrine, but thus Orinda died. Heaven, by the same disease, did both translate as equal were their souls, so equal was their fate. Meantime, her warlike brother on the seas, with his waving streamers to the winds displays, and vows for his return with vain devotion pays, ah, generous youth, that wish forbear, the winds too soon will waft thee here, slack all thy sails, and fear to come, alas, thou knowest not, thou art wrecked at home. No more shalt thou behold thy sister's face, thou hast already had her last embrace, but look aloft, and if thou keenest from afar, amid the pleiades, a new kindled star, if any sparkles, then the rest more bright. Tis she that shines in that propitious light. When in mid-air the golden trump shall sound to raise the nations underground, when in the valley of Jehoshaphat, the judging God shall close the book of fate, and there the last Assizes keep for those who wake and those who sleep, when rattling bones together fly from the four corners of the sky, when sinews over their skeletons are spread, those clothed with flesh, and life inspires the dead. The sacred poets first shall hear the sound, and foremost from the tomb shall bound, for they are covered with the lighter's ground, and straight, with inborn vigour on the wing, like mounting larks to the new morning sing. There thou, sweet saint, before the quiet choir shalt go, as harbinger of heaven, the way to show the way which thou so well hast learned below. Next one's called A Song for Cecilia's Day, 1687. From harmony, from heavenly harmony, this universe frame began when nature underneath a heap of jarring atoms lay and could not heave her head. The tuneful voice was heard from high. Arise ye more than dead. Then cold and hot and moist and dry, in order to their stations leap, and music's power obey, from harmony, from heavenly harmony, this universe frame began, from harmony to harmony. Through all the compass of the notes it ran, the diapason closing full in man. What passion cannot music raise and quell, when Jubal struck the corded shell, his listening brethren stood around, and wondering on their faces fell, to worship, that celestial sound less than a god, they thought there could not dwell. Within the hollow of that shell that spoke so sweetly and so well, what passion cannot muse, raise, and quell? The trumpet's loud clangor excites us to arms with shrill notes of anger and mortal alarms. The double, double, double beat of the thundering drum cries, Hark, the foes come, charge, charge, tis not too late to retreat. The soft complaining flute in dying notes discovers the woes of hopeless lovers whose dirge is whispered by the warbling lute. Sharp violins proclaim their joyous pangs and desperation, fury, frantic indignation, depths of pain, and height of passion for the fair disdainful dame. But oh, what art can teach, what human voice can reach that sacred organs praise, notes inspiring holy love. Notes that wing their heavenly ways to mend the choirs above. 
Orpheus could lead. The savage race and trees unrooted left their place, sequacious of the lyre, but bright Cecilia raised the wonder higher, when to her organ vocal breath was given, an angel heard and straight appeared, mistaken her earth for heaven. Grand Chorus As from the power of sacred lays the spheres began to move, and sung the great Creator's praise to all the blessed above, so when the last and dreadful hour this crumbling pageant shall devour, the trumpet shall be heard on high, the dead shall live, the living die, and music shall untune the sky. Three to go. They're shorter ones, though. Here we go. Ah, how sweet it is to love. Ah, how sweet it is to love. Ah, how gay is young desire. And what pleasing pains we prove when we first approach love's fire. Pains of love be sweeter far than all others' pleasures are. Sighs which are from lovers blown, but do but gently heave the heart. Even the tears they shed alone cure like trickling balm their smart. Lovers, when they lose their breath, bleed away in easy death. Love and time, with reverence, use, treat them like a parting friend. Nor the golden gifts refuse, which in youth... Sincere they send, for each year their price is more, and they sim less simple than before. Love, like spring tides full and high, swells in every youthful vein, but each tide does less supply, till they quite shrink in again. If a flow in age appear, tis but rain, and runs not clear. Hidden Flame I feed a flame within which so torments me that it both pains my heart and yet contents me. Tis such a pleasing smart, and so I love it, that I had rather die than once remove it. Yet he for whom I grieve shall never know it. My tongue does not betray, nor my eyes show it. Not a sign, not a tear. My pain discloses, but they fall silently like dew on roses. Thus to prevent my love from being cruel, my heart's the sacrifice, as tis the fuel... And while I suffer this to give him quiet, my faith rewards my love, though he deny it. On his eyes will I gaze, and there delight me, while I conceal my love, no frown can fright me. To be more happy I dare not aspire, nor can I fall more low, mounting no higher. Song to a fair young lady going out of the town in the spring. Ask not the cause why sullen spring so long delays her flowers to bear, why warbling birds forget to sing and winter storms invent, invert the year. Chloris is gone, and fate provides to make it spring where she resides. Chloris is gone, the cruel fair. She cast not back a pitying eye, but left her lover in despair. To sigh, to languish, and to die, ah, how can those fair eyes endure, to give the wounds they will not cure. Great God of love, why hast thou made a face that can all hearts command, that all religions can invade and change the laws of every land, where thou hadst placed such power before, thou shouldst have made her mercy more. When Chloris to the temple comes, adoring crowds before her fall, she can restore the dead from tombs and every life but mine recall. I only am by love designed to be the victim for mankind. All right, that's our poet for tonight, whose name escapes me. What was his name again? Let's go back up. Let's go back up. 
John Dryden. Good on you, Johnny boy. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow.